That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. All right. You know, we talk a lot about iron on this podcast. It comes up with almost every guest. Which makes sense. It's the world's most common nutrient deficiency after all. So we were really excited when Farah Pro reached out to sponsor TNP in recognition of us championing the importance of iron deficiency. Well, let's get right to the point. Iron deficiency is often inappropriately assessed or diagnosed and is very often inadequately treated. Which means it will leave you or your patients feeling tired and literally pulling their hair out if it doesn't fall out first. And often the dose just isn't enough. We have typically only had a lower dose 30 milligram iron supplement available for our dispensaries. So we've been having to send patients to the pharmacy for higher dose products that may be hard on the gut or have a lot of binders, artificial colors and fillers. But thankfully, Ferropro has been solving this problem for over 20 years with their lineup of intelligent and clean pharmacist formulated iron products. I love that the Ferropro lineup includes a 30 milligram, 75 milligram and their high dose 150 milligram iron per cap so that you can have the right dose right there when your patient needs it. If you think your patients would benefit from Ferapro, send an email to info at Thanks for listening. And now on to the show. All right, Dr. Dave, we're back with another episode of that naturopathic podcast. Mm-hmm. On a topic that I can't believe we haven't talked about already. It's a glaring omission from our initial, how many episodes do we have? I don't know, many, many. It's been too long <laughs> to talk about this. Yes, we've left out the like conductor. So we're, we're excited today. We're talking to Dr. Katie Rothwell, um, who is a women's health focused, uh, hormone focused, and in particular, thyroid focused naturopathic doctor um, working out of root, rooted naturopathic clinic in Barrie. Um, welcome, Katie. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm just excited to chat with you guys and see what we can uh, get up to today. <laughs> Yeah, so super complicated in a way uh, to talk about the thyroid, but we thought we'd do like a, a simplified 101 of the thyroid today. Is that sort of, is everyone okay with that? Absolutely. I think it's great for our listeners because um, as we were chatting before, it's a subject that a lot of, uh, a lot of patients are actually quite informed on. Whether or not that's correct information or not, I definitely see a lot of myths come in. Um, and so I would love for you, Katie, today to just walk us through, you know, what those patients look like, what their stories are coming in. Why don't we start there? Um, what's a typical patient look like for you that is seeking your health help, thinking or either being or being diagnosed with a thyroid condition as they kind of come into your clinic? Yeah, that's, I think, a great place to start. Um, Most of, I'd say most of the patients that I'm working with do come in already knowing that they have a thyroid condition, maybe they're on already a thyroid medication, um, but they're still not feeling well. So for example, I just had, you know, a a visit today with um, a woman, she was in her 40s, she's been on Synthroid for 12 years. Um, she's always been on the same dose. Her labs are always, you know, normal coming back from her family doctor. Nothing's ever been changed or modified. Um, and on her intake, 
where we ask, you know, list your symptoms or your concerns. It's like a page long of, of ongoing, you know, potentially related thyroid symptoms. So, you know, she's still tired. She's losing hair. She's got heavy periods. She's cold all the time. She's constipated. Like all of these things are, are still ongoing. Um, so I think that many people are coming into my office looking at, you know, is there something I'm missing? Are there other ways that we can support um, thyroid health and get me feeling better? Um, and really kind of just taking a deeper look. So I imagine that the opposite happens as well. So that patient that you just gave the example of had thyroid um, diagnosed um, like here's your medication and then kind of left for life. Um, and she was experiencing still the symptoms that we would associate with hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. And I, I imagine that, that you also have the other subset of patients where they're also giving you that list or a similar list of how they're feeling. And yet they've been told that their thyroid is okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's certainly patients that come in again, you know, everything's normal, everything looks okay, lab work wise, but still having, you know, a, a long list of symptoms that could absolutely be thyroid related, and they could um, also be related to other systems of the body as well. I mean, when we're talking about things that the thyroid can cause, it is such a long list, because basically every cell of our body needs thyroid hormones. So, you know, it can mm -hmm. cause anything from hair loss to fatigue to feeling cold to, you know, skipping periods. Um, you know, it's a very mm -hmm. variable picture that we're seeing. Um, and it's up to us to, you know, when we're talking to people to put that, put the pieces together and decide, you know, does this give us a good thyroid picture and do we need to do more testing um, or is it something that we're ruling out and looking at other you know specific areas is it more of a hormonal change or is it a you know blood sugar issue um, what are those other areas that can be mimicking a lot of those same symptoms well one of the things that comes to mind right away when you when you talk about those symptoms like fatigue heavy periods what was the other one constipation maybe not so much that one but there was another symptom hair and loss. it just seemed a lot like uh yeah hair loss and it was it seemed a lot like you have to think about iron deficiency Absolutely. so maybe could you could you walk us maybe along that sort of diversion in in terms of like how you're going through this and and sort of weighing your options is it iron is it thyroid is it a bit of both how would you sort of uh, walk through that at the beginning yeah so i mean i think it all starts with a good a good intake but you're right a lot of those symptoms do overlap so you know both an iron deficiency and low thyroid you can see hair loss fatigue heavy periods. Um, and so we need to make sure that we're not pigeonholing people into the thyroid, you know, bucket and missing mm. something obvious as you just have low iron. Um, so that is typically part of my initial workup whenever we're, we're assessing thyroid is, you know, we need to check iron, we need to check, you know, some nutrient levels that can mimic these symptoms and make sure that that is either um, ruled out as, you know, contributing to your symptoms, or that we know it's part of the puzzle and, and we can integrate it into your plan. Um, you know, we can guess all day long, but at the end of the at the end of the day, going in and doing some lab work is going to be the best way to, to really figure out, um, you know, is it iron or is it thyroid or is it both? So and where do you see, you know, for those patients who perhaps have come to you with a conventional kind of care already established for, for their thyroid, um, where with respect to assessment, um, there's definitely a lot of, um, this is where there's a lot of uh, perhaps differences in how we might assess thyroid function. So for those patients out there who perhaps say their labs are normal or are, are um, are thinking they, their thyroid is involved, what does a good thyroid assessment entail? Yeah, so typically if, you know, we visit our family doctor, nurse practitioner, um, our primary care physician, they will be looking at our TSH, which is our thyroid stimulating hormone. 
um, which is produced by our pituitary gland in our brain, and it tells the thyroid to make uh, thyroid hormone. Um, if our TSH is within that normal lab range, then testing basically stops there. We don't look any further. Um, we just assume, yep, TSH is good. Everything is working as, as normal. Um, for me, when I start to work with, with patients, I do typically recommend a more complete thyroid panel. So that's, there's two parts to that. One is that we're doing other thyroid tests. So I'm often looking at, yes, TSH, um, but sometimes they're free hormones as well. So free T4 and free T3. So these are the hormones that your thyroid actually produce that circulate in the body and have all those effects on you know, the cells as far as metabolic function and energy and temperature regulation. And then I also want to be looking at thyroid antibodies. Um, so thyroid antibodies are one that are, are often not being tested, even if people do know that they already have a thyroid disorder. Um, and it really indicates what's causing the thyroid dysfunction in the first place. So if your thyroid antibodies are positive, that is diagnostic for Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. Um, which is an autoimmune disease that affects the thyroid gland. Um, so this gives us a lot of invaluable information about what's causing and contributing to the thyroid dysfunction and also gives us uh, many more options as far as, you know, treatment goes versus, you know, just mm -hmm. taking that one thyroid medication for the rest of your life. The um, other part two of that thorough assessment is also taking a look at those lab ranges. So, you know, every lab will have a range for each of those hormone tests. So TSH, most labs are within the range of 0.5 to 4.5. Um, if it's within that range, it's not flagged and it's generally considered to be normal. Certainly for, you know, certain populations, um, and a lot of people that I'm working with tend to feel best when their TSH is in much more of a narrow range, um, you know, maybe 2, 2.5 at the high end. Certainly, if there's, you know, concerns like fertility or miscarriage, then definitely, you know, we need to be more picky um, and op in optimizing mm -hmm. those thyroid hormone levels. Um, so I think that as far as assessment and labs go, one is doing a more complete panel and then it's all in the art of interpretation, right? So looking at it through sure. like raising slight... the bar a little bit. Yes. Yes, exactly. We're not just yeah. settling for like, yeah, you're in the normal range. It's like, what is that optimal range yeah. um, where you're going to be feeling your best? Yeah. And this, and that's the same thing, you know, if we're looking at iron, we, we harp on iron all the time, but the same thing can happen with iron. So, you know, put this uh, assessment that you're doing for thyroid, which is, uh, you know, in includes a large, whatever, normal range, which doesn't mean necessarily optimal according to experts like you and other people. Uh, and then put that next to iron, which is like got two orders of magnitude between low end and high end, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like five to 272 or something like, yeah. like, so Wild. if you have six, you're fine. I had right. a patient today whose doctor told her that, well, your iron's not in your boots. It's fine. I'm like, well, is the bar we're setting in your boots? Yeah. Like, does it need to drop out of the bottom and you're napping four hours a day before we yeah. think that it's a problem? So there's very, there's definitely same with the thyroid too, that I think we can have a bit higher expectations. Yeah, absolutely. So what, when you see the antibodies, which means like for people who maybe understand, that means your immune system's making uh, little proteins that are uh, supposed to like attach to your thyroid. Is that sort of a, a really basic sort of idea of what's going on with uh, the making of thyroid antibodies? Yeah. So antibodies are basically indicating that there is some inflammation um, or cellular, um, something that is destroying the thyroid uh, tissue. Um, so that is, is really what the, the antibodies are, are telling us. Um, and over time, I mean, if, if your thyroid tissue is being destroyed, then obviously it's going to struggle to make those normal hormone amounts. Mm -hmm. You're going to be, you know, eventually diagnosed with hypothyroidism and on a medication, but this doesn't necessarily address the initial process of that autoimmunity and that inflammation. So we're, you know, we're treating the end result, but we're not treating the cause. So, so what's maybe happening when someone comes to you and they, uh, 
they're like i i feel like tired and crappy and I, <clears throat> my throat is sort of uh feeling you know enlarged t- trouble swallowing i'm constipated whatever all these pictures of thyroid and their thyroid hormone uh th- sorry tsh is like say three which is going to be okay to the medical doctor right mm-hmm. they come to you with that but they haven't tested antibodies um you know, how do you, how do you further your assessment? Are you looking then at like free T3 and free T4? Are you changing your treatment based on whether they have antibodies or not? Are you going to treat just on the fact that their thyroid is like three to four TSH? Well, is that too complicated? That was a loaded question. It was. <laughs> well, next I'll, I'll lay it all I'm out I'm trying to learn. Sixpark question. I know. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is the art of medicine, right? Where we get into these interesting scenarios where we're falling within the cracks of of normal and, yeah. and pathological and and all of these things. But I think that there's a couple, like you, a couple different things that we could certainly be looking at in that type of situation. So one would be we could absolutely be looking at their free T4 and free T3 and see if you know, either of those hormones are doing anything wonky or really low, uh, low end or um, off the off the charts that way. The antibodies are a really important piece of it because um, the antibodies alone can cause a symptom presentation and they can correlate to quality of life in patients with hypothyroidism. um, And they're also contributing to that overall process. The other thing that they can do is that they can cause the TSH to fluctuate. Um, so sometimes, you know, if we catch it on the right day, the TSH might be three, two weeks later, it could be five. And now without of that normal range. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really mm-hmm. becomes, you know, just that one thyroid testing is not always, or that one thyroid test is not always giving us the full picture. And we need to be looking at trends over, you know, six months to a year as far as what's going on is, is it you know, fluctuating up and down? Is the TSH constantly going up? Um, and then I'll mention the, the one other thing that I often find is being left out of a proper assessment is a thyroid ultrasound. So patients mm-hmm. that have uh, trouble swallowing or are noticing a hoarse voice or have thyroid antibodies or who have been diagnosed with Hashimoto's, Um, In my opinion, it's essential that they receive at least one thyroid ultrasound. Um, And there's lots that we can learn from a thyroid ultrasound there, you know, by looking at the tissue, we can see if it has the qualities of Hashimoto's and that type of tissue texture that is very consistent with that disease. We can look at nodules that might be contributing to the trouble swallowing or swelling and making sure that those nodules are benign and um, benign as in not harmful or cancerous. Um, and also, right. you know, always keeping in mind that yes, we, you know, if there are any lumps or bumps, we want to rule out any cancerous processes. Um, with Hashimoto's, sure. we do see a very, a small increased risk of thyroid cancer in these, um, mm-hmm. in these patients. So it's something to be aware of and to be proactive um, with because I've certainly had, you know, a handful of patients who are diagnosed Hashimoto's. They come into my office. They've never had an ultrasound. We recommend the ultrasound through their family doctor, and then a nodule is found and biopsied and and found that there's actually a cancerous process going on. Um, so we definitely need to be uh, watching for that as well. Okay, I'm going to give you the real reason why I gave you that loaded long question. Okay. <laughs> It's, it's because I'm not a, an expert in thyroid. And I was like, just spewing out uh, that, that I don't know enough about it. And one thing that I used to do more was order the full thyroid panel right from the get go. I used to order like reverse, uh, reverse thyroid, uh, free T4, free T3, TSH and anti TGs, all these labs. And I didn't know. So I'm just being vulnerable here. I didn't know if they were all action. It was all actionable data. That's, that's what I was getting at. So um, in the hand, I guess I'm just showing in the hands of someone who's an expert, the same data gives more actionable info. So that's, that was me just coming clean on not being a thyroid expert. I would probably give them the care if I see them here in our area. So, um, anyway, what was, there was another, there was another question I had, but uh, yeah, uh, I forget it now. So Kara. 
I was going to actually, in honor of Dave, I was going to tell, we, we like analogies here and Dave's analogies are always about war or soldiers or something gruesome or Thanks. inappropriate. Thanks. <laughs> so maybe for our listeners listening as they're, if they're lost a little bit, as we're talking about all these hormones, I'm sure Katie, you have ways to explain this in clinic too, but I have two analogies for TSH, which is that brain hormone that goes from the pituitary to signal the thyroid to make hormones. I originally called it a whip. Like it's a really, like it's basically the brain whipping the thyroid and saying, come on, come on, I need hormone, please make it, which is why the higher the TSH, the higher it's like whipping it. And uh, it means that the thyroid is under functioning or hypo. Um, and then I also like the example of it's like a mom shouting at her kids to clean their room. Like just because the TSH is high or normal doesn't mean that the room's clean. Like they're actually, they're two different things. So it's like the mom saying, come on, come on, clean your room. Are the kids cleaning the room? We don't know unless we actually test the T3 and T4. Yeah. Um, so I, love my I love the yeah. last analogy. I think that hits on so many multiple levels and we'll probably identify closely with a lot of your patients. So exactly. Well, I have to find a way to bring antibodies in there. I don't know what, how we can bring them in. It might be like dirty socks or something, but let me know if you can think of a way. Yeah. Because <laughs> patients I'll... really respond to stories. They like to understand it that way. So Katie, we, why don't we move on? So you have a patient, you've done a good workup. Um, and yes, there are complexities in how those labs are looking. Um, what is the next step? And perhaps we would take two separate uh, routes, one on a pa with a patient who's already on the conventional thyroid medication, whether that's Synthroid or Altroxin, and then the other patient who is not currently on a thyroid medication. And I suppose the third category would be patients where they might not need a medication, but we definitely um, need to start addressing some underlying causes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, lots of different you know, presentations that you'll see in people coming in with um, starting from different different places. When I start to work with people, I basically break it down into kind of a three pronged approach as far as thyroid health goes. So number one is looking at optimizing those thyroid hormone levels. So if we're, you know, getting your labs back, and whether you're medicated or not, you know, your TSH is four and your T4 and your T3 are low end, you know, we want to be making sure that those are in the optimal range because that alone will help people feel so much better. So whether we're mm -hmm. adjusting their current dose of medication um, or if they're not on a medication, talking about that as an option, um, those are all, you know, certainly possibilities that, you know, we're looking at. Um, so number one is optimizing the thyroid hormones. Number two is, is looking at nutrient um, levels and nutrient deficiencies. So we already mentioned iron, which can you know, mimic a lot of thyroid symptoms, but also is required for thyroid function. So two enzymes um, that the thyroid uses to make thyroid hormones require iron. So if you're low iron, mm -hmm. it's going to affect your thyroid levels as well. So that's something that, you know, we're always including in our initial assessment. The other two that I often see being chronically low, uh, and that can also mimic thyroid symptoms, are your vitamin B12 and vitamin D. I'm sure you guys see lots of, mm -hmm. of low B12 and D levels. Um, so those mm -hmm. are, you know, my three kind of standard nutrients that I'm checking across the board for a lot of thyroid patients. Um, and then the last kind of prong um, of that three-pronged approach is looking at more of the foundational systems. So by foundational mm -hmm. systems, I'm talking about things like diet and digestion um, and stress and female hormones and, you, and working on that immune system inflammatory process that may be contributing to their thyroid function. So I think as you know, when we split it up into those three things, one, it gives us a timeline because we're kind of also moving from like, okay, we start with one, you know, we can address the thyroid hormones and, and, um, you know, tweak medication within a couple of weeks, your nutrient levels, we can definitely bump up within six to 12 weeks. And then more long term, you know, we're looking at three to six months a year, you know, two years in some cases to, um, to cover all of these different areas. 
Those are awesome steps. I, yeah. I feel like every, um, every, I don't want to say, yeah, every ND who knows their thing in a certain area can, it, really, simpli- it. <laughs> can really simplify um, the, the steps ne- necessary for healing, which, mm-hmm. um, which is really, and we talked about that on our last episode, is the, the, the process or the order is as important as the therapies that you're using. Yeah. And um, I wanted to, sorry. Yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry. I just said having a system, I mean, it makes it easier, not only for my job as a clinician, but also for patients to understand, you know, what it's going to look like over the course of six months to a year and what we're starting with and what we're going to do next. And like, it just gets everybody on the same page. Um, So I really like starting with that, you know, from the gate, from the get go, right out of the gate, as far as this is what it's going to look like. Mm. And, you know, how does that sound to you? And most people are like, heck Mm -hmm. yes, (laughs) let's do it. They're Mm -hmm. relieved, right? They're relieved to have a plan and understand what the next steps are. Yeah, for sure. I'm just going to do another plug here for um, uh, iron deficiency. That's not anemia. Cause I feel like, you know, when you get your hemoglobin checked and that's all that is really checked, the assumption is basically that if your hemoglobin is fine, your iron's fine. And uh, that's another, it's worth saying it again and There's again. There's so many parallels when you think about iron and thyroid. There's many yes. parallels there. Right. But if, you're, if your evaluation of iron has only been hemoglobin, right? You see, or you go to give blood or whatever. And yeah. the only thing to look at is hemoglobin. The assumption there is that all iron does is go to red blood cell formation. Mm-hmm. And Katie pointed out that there's, it was two, is it cytochromes or two? <clears throat> two so um, yeah, your, your TPO, um, thyroperoxidase mm-hmm. enzymes, and also your deiodinases also require iron for function. So mm-hmm. two major um, enzymes as far as not only thyroid hormone production, but activation. So, so yeah, there's just, an, these are specific examples of something that, I struggle with all the time with getting across the patients that hemoglobin is not enough. We keep mm-hmm. saying that, right? So hemoglobin tells you how much of your iron is going to red blood cell formation, but it doesn't necessarily tell you that you have enough iron in other compartments for other jobs. Yeah. And once in case it has big jobs. Yeah. Big jobs. Yeah. And I, I'll try not to talk too much about iron anymore, but I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard not to talk about it. It's just, it's like this assumption that that is really, really prevalent. Mm-hmm. And once your hemoglobin is to... affected, it's usually like your ferritin's already, you know, in the dumpster. Exactly. <laughs> in your boots. Yeah, yeah in but your boots. Care, apparently. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to your first step. Can you walk our listeners through the options for, um, so for replacing thyroid hormones? So um, let's talk about natural desiccated thyroid and then the more conventional um, uh, synthroid. And also when, when it's appropriate to use those um, therapies and when it's not necessary. Yeah. So the conventional uh, medication is a, a T4 only uh, synthroid or levothyroxine also goes by um, L-troxin. There's a couple different, um, you know, brand names there for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that medication has your T4 um, hormone in it, which as we I think we had mentioned earlier, um, T4 is one of the hormones that your thyroid produces. Um, The natural desiccated thyroid um, is considered to be a combination medication. So what that means is that it has both the T4 and the T3 um, included in the medication. What your body is responsible for is essentially producing that T4 medic or producing the T4 hormone or getting it from a medication and converting it into the active T3. And it's the active T3 hormone that really does make all of those changes possible as far as cellular function and giving you energy and, you know, keeping your body warm and all of these things. So with Synthroid, we're really giving you a hormone precursor or a hormone um, building block and asking your body to do that conversion step or that, um, you know, converting um, itself. So with the NDT, the, the main benefit of that medication is that it already has the T3 in the medication preformed, ready to go and to be used um, by your body. So for some people, that makes a huge difference as far as how 
they're feeling um, on a medication to be utilizing both the T4 and the T3 uh, in their medication. Mm-hmm. I, um, I had a patient today who we, who is on an NDT and, um, or natural desiccated thyroid, just so we're not confusing um, our listeners. And, um, I'm just curious how either what, either with Synthroid or when you have a patient who's on a medication, whether it's NDT or Synthroid, um, how often you're finding it's a, a dose thing. Cause this patient today, we just literally went up one step. She's like, this isn't, this might be working, might be working. And it was just like a dose adjustment. And now she's like, I've never felt. Um, so I'm curious cause you have lots of clients who are coming in on thyroid medication saying, I just still don't feel good. Um, do you often feel like that's a dose thing? Is it the wrong medication or is it that the other foundations haven't been addressed? It can, it can be either. It can be any of those, right? And that is part of, part of that assessment for sure. When we're, you know, initially looking at their thyroid hormones, if their TSH is outside of that optimal range, then I'm, I'm thinking about dosing, right? I'm thinking about, okay, you know, you're on medication, but you're not on the right dose. Um, and then yeah. there are people who, you know, their TSH may be within that optimal range, even by my eyes, but their T3 levels are falling off the backside and are really low. Um, so that in, in that situation, maybe we're looking at, you know, trying out a combination medication that has that T3 in it that they, their body can utilize um, a little bit better. And if their, you know, labs are all looking like amazing, even through my lens, then it's like, okay, what else is going on? What else is causing mm-hmm. yeah. symptoms? Is it yeah. antibodies? Is it under some underlying process that we're missing? So that's kind of my stepwise approach. Is it, you know, is it the right dose? Is it the right form of medication? Mm-hmm. And if we're doing a check, check, yes, right, right dose, check, yeah. right form, um, then we, we move on to other things. But Certainly a, a huge percentage of people come in with, you know, there needs to be some tweaking done on their medication. Like, you know, my patient today, she's been on the same dose for 12 years and nothing. She's gone through, you know, two pregnancies. She's approaching perimenopause and like her dose has never changed. And, you know, we may need yes. to be tweaking or, or reassessing what that optimal dose is for her. For sure. Yeah. This patient said to me this morning, like, how do I know what the right dose is or will it this change? And I'm like, well, you know, probably you're okay for a little bit, but when you stop feeling, when you start feeling different, then we reassess. Or when you come up to menopause, then maybe we reassess, or maybe when you're really stressed, we reassess. But um, it is surprising to me how it's like, here's your dose. You're on it for life. Um, Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Well, you should feel better. Right. Yes, I mean, we, talk, we talked better. about that yeah. recently. I don't know if we've released that. Did we release that episode yes. yet? Okay. Yeah. We talked about that recently where like, really, you should feel better if things are getting better, ideally. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, then uh, we have to go back to maybe back to the drawing board, but go back a step and see, okay, now we went for the low hanging fruit, what's missing, which actually is a great transition yeah. into what I wanted to ask you, which is, okay, so say someone is in that situation where it's like, okay, Katie, you've, you've looked at everything. And you're like, okay, your labs look pretty good, even through my expert ND lens, which is a little bit more into optimization than maybe uh, normal. Um, and there's, and say they're eating all right and doing all right. What, where do you, where do you go next for those people who are like a little bit tougher, a little, a little bit more difficult to figure out as an expert, where do you go next? Yeah. So if their, you know, their labs are looking normal, um, as far as their TSH, free T4, free T3, like those are all humming along, whether they're on medication or not. Um, definitely looking at, you know, if those antibodies are present, because that is going to be causing, you know, those underlying processes. And then um, there can be, again, you know, three-pronged approach, like looking at antibodies, looking Mm -hmm. at nutrient deficiencies, and then looking at those chronic, you know, or more foundational systems long-term. I mean, there can be just so many things that are contributing to how somebody is feeling, you know, from a high stress, you know, HPA 
axis dysfunction as far as, you know, our stress hormones go and our cortisol levels go to, you know, chronic infections, to inflammatory bowel disorders, to like, you know, that those are things that, you know, on a daily basis we're thinking about and, and ruling out. Um, but I think that for a lot of my patients, what's missing is that Hashimoto's diagnosis um, and that antibody um, testing. So that's a very typical um, situation where people come in and, you know, either they've been on the same dose of medication or maybe, you know, they're like, yeah, every five years, my medication dose goes up. Like I never really seem to feel Mm -hmm. great, but I feel okay. I have, you know, some other, like I get digestive symptoms and like I have hives that come, you know, randomly or like joint pain and some other inflammatory, you know, signs and symptoms. Um, Mm -hmm. Or they have a huge family history of thyroid concerns. You know, their mom has it. Three aunts have it. Their nieces have it. Um, And those are all things that would, you know, really trigger me to think of, okay, we need to you know, check out um, your antibodies and have those tested. And I mean, nine times out of 10, they haven't been tested in the past and figure out if if that's a piece of the puzzle that we've been missing. So Katie, can you walk us through as we're talking about those antibodies? And so say someone has been diagnosed with Hashimoto's, um, what that is a case where, you know, we're really looking I mean, as NDs, we're all always looking at other systems, but it really is a case where we kind of have to back up and look at other factors that might be contributing. So what are some of those big things that you're kind of starting to think about um, when you're approaching Hashimoto's? Yeah, so there, I mean, there's certainly some big um, risk factors or triggers that can um, cause or contribute to Hashimoto's. So we see it being much more prevalent in women, um, certainly, you know, postpartum or after pregnancy or through menopause or perimenopause. These are oftentimes where, you know, it's being diagnosed. Um, and so there are, there are some things that obviously, you know, we can act on and change and some risk factors that we have no control over, right? Um, we can't control whether, you know, someone um, has had, you know, postpartum and some, some thyroid issues have come up at that point. Um, and then, so, I mean, yeah, some of it is in that assessment piece and looking at history and risk factors and things like that. Um, as far as, you know, treating... Hashimoto's and what that looks like. Um, the biggest piece of it is is treating the immune system because it is overacting. There is inflammation going on, and basically we need to, um, you know, calm down that inflammation and regulate that immune system so that it's not being overacted against our own thyroid tissue. And as NDs, we have so many amazing tools that can help do that. Um, I know I mentioned vitamin D a little while ago, um, and not only does that mimic a lot of thyroid symptoms, but it has a huge impact on our immune system and regulating um, how our immune system is functioning. Um, And I mean, it has a role in a lot of inflammatory and autoimmune conditions and Hashimoto's is no different. Um, So using things like vitamin D, you know, even omega-3 fatty acids or healthy fish oils, um, you know, probiotics, like these are really basic things that a lot of us are using from an anti-inflammatory immune regulating um, perspective. So I think that's always a key component um, of working with Hashimoto's. And then there are other specific nutrients that have been studied for decreasing that oxidative stress or that inflammation in, in the thyroid gland. So selenium is, is probably the one with the most robust research. Um, so there's mm-hmm. pretty amazing research for selenium and its use on like a whole spectrum of thyroid conditions from hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's to nodules to um, you know, tissue or thyroid enlargement, Graves' disease, Graves' eye disease, hyperthyroidism. So, I mean, if it's thyroid related, you can almost bet that you can use selenium. Um, And then there's some other specific key nutrients that um, have good research for decreasing thyroid antibodies as well um, that I'm using. So those are usually, you know, my first 
um, my first step as far as using those specific nutrients that are um, indicated for Hashimoto's and the ones that we know help to regulate the immune system. Um, and then other areas, um, probably the next one that I would be looking at is diet and digestion. Um, because so much mm -hmm. of our immune system, there's a lot of myths and yes, I was going to say there's, this is like a, you can find Hashimoto's diets like everywhere. So yep. yeah, I'd love to hear what your like what the research is saying and what your approach is when it comes to, you know, dietary strategies for this. Yeah. And diet can play a, you know, a huge role as we know, in you know, long-term health and um, acute concerns. Um, but I think that certainly if you're on Dr. Google and looking for solutions, I mean, I've come across anything from like a carrot only diet. I'm like, I don't even know where this stuff even comes <laughs> from. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have, you know, heard of the celery juice phenomenon that, you know, increased the price of celery for um, a year or two. Um, to, you know, some really restrictive diets that you can find online. Um, I'd say in general, my approach is always to encourage the most varied, sustainable diet we can. Because if it's not sustainable, mm -hmm. then what is the freaking point, essentially? If yes. you can only muscle through it for two weeks, like it's not going to have any long-term beneficial effects for you. So... I am not a blanket, you know, diet prescriber. You won't leave my office with like a one line, you know, do the autoimmune paleo diet and see you in a year. Um, mm -hmm. it, it needs to be a conversation, um, you know, with your mm -hmm. patient and, and talking about, okay, you know, where are you at now? What makes sense for you? What's a reasonable, reasonable place to start? Um, so, I mean, they, these are all things that I think, you know, we need to be, um, looking at and, and it's not something we can cover in, you know, a minute or two or the last minute of a visit. And they're like, Oh, what about diet? Sure. And I'm like, that's a whole separate visit. <laughs> Can't cover it in exactly. 60 seconds. Um, I mean, specifically <laughs> as far as, you know, getting into specific diet recommendations, um, there are some things that we do want to be you know, mindful of when we're working with patients with Hashimoto's. So there is a huge overlap between celiac disease, which is a autoimmune disease um, against the gluten uh, protein um, and Hashimoto's. So we need to be screening and asking questions and potentially ruling that out in our patients. Um, because if they have Hashimoto's and also celiac, that is going to contribute to a lot of that autoimmune and inflammatory process. Um, and I'll just, you know, circle back to ferritin and iron one more time. Um, but if you're someone with, you know, celiac or, you know, a chronic digestive disorder like that, you'll often have these, you know, very resistant, low nutrient levels. So, you know, your ferritin or your iron levels will just not go up or your B12 is always in the toilet or, you know, so there are things that can sometimes point us towards that. Um, and I will say that, you know, aside from people that are diagnosed with celiac disease and looking at more of, you know, people that maybe are falling within that non-celiac gluten or wheat sensitivity, um, that does mm -hmm. seem to be a common theme that I'm seeing in practice. And like a lot of my patients are feeling better um, without gluten um, in their diet. Research, I think there's one study at this point looking at, you know, eliminating gluten in Hashimoto's patients. So we do not have, you know, good supportive research for that at this point. Um, yeah. But that kind of goes back to what, what Dave was saying was that um, it has to make you feel better. So exactly. Try it. Right. It's like, yeah. yes, we don't have 10 meta-analyses on mm -hmm. gluten and, and thyroid, but if you try an experiment, you take it out and you feel better, why don't we listen to that? Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. And if you don't, then okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, a lot of the time, you know, our starting point is, you know, look, these are often, you know, common triggers that I see in a lot of people. 
let's, you know, do an experiment where we take it out for four to six weeks, see how you're feeling digestive wise, energy wise, joint pain, brain fog, Mm -hmm. you know, these are all things that people can see if they have, you know, an issue or sensitivity or intolerance to gluten um, and see how they feel in six weeks. And if they feel better, then it is so much easier to maintain it when people are like, yeah, it's not even worth it. You know, like I'm happy to continue with this type of uh, plan. And sure, if I'm at a you know, a party or I'm going, you know, out for dinner and I have a little bit of gluten here and there, like the world isn't going to come crashing down um, on me. It's just that, you know, we're, we're adjusting the amount um, and, and keeping that in mind moving forward. For sure. Katie, did you see antibodies come down? Are you like directly seeing antibody levels coming down? With uh, gluten removal or just in general? Just in general, like as part of like the fair, like the, as you work through all of these different approaches. Yeah. A hundred percent. Certainly in like my first, uh, you know, year of practice, there is some trial and and error, but um, you know, I feel like now I have a pretty good system and I know what works and I know um, what is, what is effective for people. And, and certainly, you know, seeing antibodies decreases, um, is a very reasonable expectation of treatment. Um, and I mean, that happens slowly, you know, I may be retesting them once or twice a year. This isn't something that, you know, we're testing every month, uh, because Mm -hmm. they do take time to change and there may be little ups and downs and we don't want to become too, you know, crazy focused on the numbers and, um, you know, little minute changes, but again, we're looking at trends. And if we're seeing them come down over time, to me, that indicates that the inflammation and that autoimmune process is lessening as well. Um, So that that's a positive, positive result. um, And one that's definitely achievable. Do you want to ask our our final question we ask everybody? Yeah, sure. So um, Katie, clearly you're an expert. And I'll just, I'll just say quickly too, you've got a, you got a training, uh, program or two for um, naturopathic doctors, right? So we'll just, maybe you could tell yeah. us where to direct uh, young naturopaths to if they, if they want to learn more clinically or from experts. Okay, or I've us. Got or one, anybody. I've got the first one in the wings. <laughs> I, I'm, halfway, I'm halfway through your, oh, your um, NDT um, cool. uh, desiccated thyroid course. And it's really, really excellent. Amazing. That's so great. Okay. I don't know what you so guys- So where do they find- they... <laughs> Go on. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like our thyroid education in school was very minimal. Like it was very basic as far as like, this is what TSH is. If it's high, you have hypothyroidism, end of class. (laughs) Um, So I think all of us, you know, (laughs) when you come out into practice and you start working and working with patients and seeing more cases, we realize that it's not simplistic like that mm-hmm. it's it's actually a really complex organ um and it annoyed mm-hmm. the heck out of me for the first you know through clinical year and my first year and then i was like i just need to figure this out because it's not going away mm-hmm. um and you know i'm one of those people that like if i'm going if i'm gonna do it i'm going all in <laughs> Um, so part of that, yeah, Yeah. part of that has been creating these courses for, um, naturopaths, young and old, you know, if they want to freshen up on their, their thyroid knowledge and, you know, prescribing in Ontario is relatively new for us. So, and again, something we're not getting education on. So there's two courses. One is, um, prescribing desiccated thyroid. Um, and then the second one is, just coming out this month. So it's an evidence-based approach to Hashimoto's disease. Uh, They're both, I try to take a very clinical approach to both of them. So it's not, you know, theory, background, you know, cellular biology stuff. It's like, okay, in practice, um, what are we doing and how, and how do we do it? Um, and you can find the courses online um, through our website or email me directly and I can forward the, the link to any NDs who are, who are interested. Um, right now, they're, um, I believe they're on all of my social media 
um, but just kind of depends on the time of year and if the webinars are running. Okay, cool. So that does bring us to our, our last question. I feel like we could go on and on and you and Kara could talk hormones forever and ever. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm so pumped that we actually got to talk about thyroid because the more I think about I can't believe we haven't talked about it prior to this. We've talked about fertility like two, three times. Yes, and, we have. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so thanks so much for dropping your wisdom. But I want, I want you to give one last uh, uh, tidbit, like the one thing that if uh, someone listening to the podcast could remember one thing from this, uh, like 50 minutes that we spent together, uh, what would you want that one thing to be? Yeah, my two big things are assessment and advocate. So you need to have that full assessment done you know, without knowing more information and knowing what's causing the thyroid dysfunction, we're going to be spinning our wheels and going in circles and nothing's going to necessarily change. So you need to have that, you know, complete workup and assessment done. Um, and then again, part of that is, is also advocating. Um, and I think you guys have talked about that a lot on your pad podcast, as far as, you know, taking um, that role, that front seat of your own health, um, and searching out other answers and filling in the gaps where you feel like things are missing. So assessment and advocate. Love it. I think it's such a great, um, it's such a great topic to highlight what naturopaths are doing because, you know, just hearing you speak, it really made me think of how this is a you know, you, you need a thyroid informed ND on your team if you have thyroid, because yes, it's one organ and some hormones, like, you know, you, we could just, we could just stop there, give some thyroid and, um, and stop, but that's going to all often be suboptimal. So when you have the lens as a naturopath of looking at all of those other interconnections, you know, from gut to iron to sleep to stress to cortisol levels and mm -hmm. how estrogen levels will change hormone binding and all of that kind of stuff, when we can really take that big comprehensive picture and work on all the systems necessary, um, which are very different for every single person with thyroid issues, um, it, I can see one why you were going crazy because it is so <laughs> complex. And yet we, there is so much opportunity to help people feel better um, uh, uh, living with um, thyroid issues. So it's been really great to talk to you. I think this has just opened a can of worms of, uh, of uh, the possibilities. And perhaps we can pick a more direct topic and have you on again. Yeah, I'm happy to come back for uh, part two. That sounds great. Sounds good. Okay, well, thank you so much, Katie, for joining thank us. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.